Hey there, faculty and students. Welcome back from our one-week hiatus of the CR22 podcast. I've had a few conversations this week with you all about clinical integration. So I thought I'd dedicate this podcast to taking a step back and talking about clinical integration in medical education with a focus particularly on clinical integration in the preclinical or foundational phase. Firstly, I will say that sometimes this is called vertical integration, but I don't think of those terms as totally synonymous. Vertical integration in my mind not only refers to clinical integration in the foundational years, but also refers to biomedical integration later on in the clinical years. Essentially, what I'm suggesting is that vertical integration is including and referencing what is to come and what has come before. There's a nice review article in BMC Medical Education from this past December 2020 on vertical integration and medical education that some of you might find interesting, and I included the link in this week's podcast. The authors state that the aim of vertical integration is to support meaningful learning. Vertical integration curricula provide relevance to basic sciences for clinical practice by matching learning with the way that knowledge is intended to be used. They consider vertical integration a philosophy of education, which applies not only to undergraduate education, but to the lifelong learning for medical professionals. And I really love this framing. So let's talk about definitions for a second. A regularly cited definition of vertical integration is the integration between clinical and basic science parts of the curriculum. But this is really becoming outdated. The more current definition of vertical integration as offered in this article that I'm referencing is an educational approach that fosters a gradual increase of learner participation in the professional community through a stepwise increase of knowledge-based engagement in practice with graduated responsibilities in patient care. The authors of this paper also talk about an important component to a successfully vertically integrated curriculum. Um, And that is that the learner has increasing clinical responsibilities over time, where even early learners are entrusted with small contributions to healthcare. That requires a social environment that affords that kind of opportunity and teachers who stimulate learner agency. Vertical integration contributes to professional identity formation and allows learners to start to think, feel, and act like physicians. A brief note about outcomes. Students from educational systems that use vertical integration really show no measurable difference in traditional knowledge and skills um, when compared to students from educational systems without that kind of vertical integration. But these students do demonstrate behaviors that could be valuable. They're more likely to work independently. They're more likely to solve medical problems, to manage unfamiliar situations, to prioritize their tasks collaborate with others, and estimate when they actually need help, and they're more reflective about activities they participate in. So let's move on to the criticisms of vertical integration and specifically clinical integration in early years. So far, we've approached this like Flexner, meaning we've concentrated on two pillars of medicine rather than three, the third pillar being that health system science pillar that you're starting to hear so much about. Perhaps vertical integration really should include not only basic and clinical sciences, but also socio-humanistic and population health sciences. Certainly, these are critical considerations in health and wellness. 
To this point, one article I came across talks about how we should move from a biologic concept of medicine to an anthropologic one. And we're undoubtedly taking those steps here at UMass with building out the health system science pillar and increasing our social determinants of health content. Health equity, diversity, and inclusion is also a new longitudinal thread for Curriculum Revolution 22. Certainly, clinical integration is not the only place for these new benchmark components of the curriculum. Now, we can't have a conversation about clinical integration without talking specifically about case-based learning. What exactly is case-based learning and how does it differ from problem-based learning? Case-based teaching certainly isn't specific to medical education. It's intended to help develop skills in analytical thinking and reflective judgment by dealing with real-life scenarios that might be complex. And it's supposed to have application in social and natural sciences as well as a number of other disciplines. There are lots of definitions out there, but the one I'd like to offer here appeals to me because it has the objective in mind. The goal of case-based learning is to prepare students for clinical practice through the use of authentic clinical cases. It links theory to practice using inquiry-based learning methods. Case-based learning doesn't need to be real. They can be simulated cases or created to serve a specific learning purpose. They can be used to teach a biomedical concept, a clinical concept, or to engage students in an activity like a simulation activity or an anatomy lab. There are several case-based learning types, um, including a, a few examples here. You've got extensive detailed case studies. They might be used for study over time or in one of those CPC type presentations to a formal audience. You've got narrative cases, which are often interrupted in their presentation of data so you can stop and talk about refining your differential diagnosis or therapeutic or diagnostic options. Clinicians might think of this as like a morning report style case. And then there's mini cases. These are useful for helping students apply concept, concepts um, or briefly introducing a case for a practical application like a pre-simulation exercise or a pre-lab exercise that's designed to make that activity more meaningful for the learner. And there's a variant on many cases, sometimes referred to as bullet cases, or even clinical vignettes are a form of mini cases. And I know you are all familiar with clinical vignettes when we're creating um, questions for our NBME and USMLE-like uh, activities or examinations. Problem-based learning, in contrast, does not provide objectives for learners at the start of the activity. The learner identifies their objectives in problem-based learning. It's more free-form. There's typically less directed preparation, and the learners lead and direct the conversation themselves. In case-based learning, in contrast, the facilitators provide objectives and generally steer the conversation so that it stays on task to meet those targets. For those of you focused on outcomes, just like clinical integration in medical education, there isn't clear data that our knowledge or skills improve with case-based learning curriculum. However, overwhelmingly students enjoy case-based learning and they think that it does enhance their learning. Teachers also reportedly enjoyed case-based learning more, um, probably because it engages and motivates students. One of the values of case-based learning that addresses some of the aforementioned criticisms of vertical and clinical integration is this narrative approach to learning a concept. When case-based learning is done correctly, it should tell a story with characters. And by default, this evokes empathy with those central characters. And when we're talking about medical education, those central characters are our patients. 
Case-based learning has the potential to highlight personal and social circumstances that contribute to the case. In this way, a whole lot of factors can be brought into the discussion, including things like ethics, population health, high-value care, and social determinants of health, to name a few. If utilized properly, case-based learning can help move us away from traditional flexinarian education for medical professionals and can pull in that third pillar that we're building into our core curriculum at UMass. Challenges in an integrated case-based curriculum include time constraints, certainly. There needs to be a balance between the dissemination of core concepts that need to be understood prior to participating in a discussion and the time that's required for a case discussion itself. Keeping a group on track towards the defined objectives may lead to squashing the natural inquiry that comes from engaging in such a case discussion. Additionally, a common concern in our single pass curriculum may be that a student does not have sufficient organ or block exposure to participate in a case-based learning, particularly early on. I would offer a few thoughts here. Firstly, by using cases frequently in our curriculum, there will be iteration over time and opportunity to teach new concepts in similar snippets um, that expand with the additional biomedical and block-specific learning. Additionally, their entire professional careers will include the presentation of information that might not be fully understood right away. This is just the nature of medicine. This fosters humility and curiosity, which will greatly benefit our future physicians. I hope you agree that clinical integration through case-based learning is valuable and that we should continue to couple such an approach with gradual increases in clinical responsibilities over time. Additionally, case-based learning is where our new curricular facets of health system science, equity, and diversity belong um, as one example. They certainly belong in other places too. These are all intrinsic parts of our patients' experience with their health and illness. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week on the next Curriculum Revolution 22 podcast.